So when I was in elementary school, I uh, was in the dog breed club where we just every day during recess, we just look through our dog breed books and like <laughs> look at new ones and learn facts about them. Like breed. You guys want breeding dogs. No, we just we just like to know the breeds. Okay. Um, and so and one day, you know, the principal found out about the dog breed club and she was like, you know, there's no clubs. Right. And we were like, well, because they were like, she was like, that's exclusive. And we were like, you don't understand. We walk around recess like half the days and just ask people to be a part of our club. Because we, we very much want people to be a part of this. No one is excluded. So then we called it the Dog Breed Association, but they saw right through that. So it got shut down. But, but, as I, but I feel like now I'm like totally Jesus juking it. But like as I think about that, I think often... I'm just still interested in, like, so what do you, you just couldn't have clubs? <laughs> no, of course not. Where'd you go to school? <laughs> Can you say that? Kirk Day School. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. Like, that's, what's the rationale? Just because it was too exclusive? Yeah, you're, it means you're being mean and excluding people. Even though you were, like, evangelizing the dog breeders club? Yeah, we were. We wanted everyone to join. Yeah. But it was the word club. But then yeah. it wasn't, because then they were, like, association. We see yeah. right through that. I do think dog breed like dog breeding is the most problematic thing about it. I think the club, I really thought you guys were like an underground, like labradoodle smuggling <laughs> organization. Like second grade. We're just... Yeah. No, we just wanted to study the breeds. And then we all had like a breed that was like our favorite. Yeah. What was yours? Siberian Husky. Oh, that was when I was a kid. That was the dog I always wanted. Really? really I had a Husky pen. That was, felt really cool. That's funny. All right. Jukas. Okay. Jukas. <laughs> but what I was thinking, I was thinking about that because I think often Almost like church has that same connotation of like, well, if it's going to be a church, it has to be exclusive. Like how, hmm. like how the school leaders were like, well, if it's a club, it must be exclusive. And so when I think, and today we want to talk about like sticky issues and things like that. And most of the sticky issues, correct me if I'm wrong, are about people like people that some churches think you should exclude or at least yeah, should be excluded to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the sticky issues come in when you say, well, actually, I think that Jesus would include these people and this hmm. is what is happening. Um so, like, you get, you get a lot of heat for this. Like, what does it look like for you to engage people who, or I guess let's start simpler. Who are some people that you see Jesus including that mo- many people often exclude? Yeah. Well, that's, I, you're right. I do. It, I, it comes at very different angles, right? Like, so I get heat for being a church that's inclusive of LGBTQ people, um, I'm a divorced and I'm still a pastor. Like I remember when my, some of my friends from Oregon found out I was divorced. So like, you can still do that. And so like, there's lots of different areas that I think our churches create. Even like I said, one of the last episodes we recorded, like we have people that are in same sex relationships sitting next to people that would think them being married should be illegal. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think that's an interesting dichotomy of what inclusion can look like. But and we were talking about this before we started. Like, I think Jesus is the most inclusive person. And there's no, the only reason there's a boundary to who Jesus included was because they stopped writing down who he was including. And he was only has three, mm. three years recorded of life and the years of ministry that we have. And so, and I think it's interesting. Like, we're like, well, he sat with this person. He included that person. We had the Jew and Gentile conversation off camera, right? Like we were talking about those things. And I think it's just interesting. Like, we say, oh, this is the only people we see Jesus include in the gospel. Mm-hmm. These are the things we see him speak against. 
But when we look at like who he was and how he aligned his life, everything he's doing is finding who culture currently saw on the margins and inviting them into a space, not just of inclusion, but often of like prominence, which I think is really interesting. Mm. So, but in the world we live in today, like this has been a common thread through all this. Like there's so much desire for certainty. And part of that certainty is like, I can't know if I'm in unless I know who else is out. Mm. Uh, So like, for your dog breeders club, like you invited everyone in, but there was a requisite requirement, which was you had to like different breeds of dogs. That's true. So to know you're a part of the club, you had to, you had to have a desire for dogs. Right. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what we do as Christians is we're like, Hey, the best way for me to know I have my seat at the table is to know whose seat isn't at the table. And I think Jesus was always a never at his own table which is interesting. Like every meal he shares, he's in someone else's house and in someone else's Mm -hmm. table, but he's at tables with people that pissed off everyone else that was religious. He never was. And I'm, you're better quoting scripture than me. So you might be able to know this passage, but the only time he goes and preaches in a synagogue, like he's a guest preacher, right? He's kicked out immediately. (laughs) So it's like (laughs) his only experiences in religious spaces don't go well, (laughs) but he was creating holy spaces in Mm. non-religious places that were inviting the people on the margins into power and so I think or prominence so I think it's interesting like Jesus is always bending and moving towards finding the person that culture religion whatever has said no to and just because we see in scripture Mm. some people well I won't say that let's you say something I so I I I don't disagree with you I'm gonna play devil's advocate because I know what maybe like non-affirming Christians would be saying right now. Sure. They would say like, yes, that is true. Jesus went to those people, but then he asked them to change. Mm. Like go and sin no more, things like that. How do you respond to like things like that of like, I think people Mm. think they're inclusive, but then ask people to change. That's true. I think I get that. Like, but you think about the woman that he says, go and sin no more. He Uh also says, neither do I judge. Like no one here can (laughs) do you. And we like to say like, go and sin no more but we forget that like there's no condemnation and how he sends her out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. And again, like we were talking about uh, the religious, the tax collector and the religious person in the temple. And they both come in and one's like, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the other is like, Hey, I'm awesome and crushing it. I'm not like that sinner over there. And I think what's just, I think integral to the way we see how Jesus interacts with people and in the story of the religious person, the tax collector in the temple, like he's not, it's a parable, right? So it's not, he's not interacting with them. But I think we see Jesus wholeheartedly care about the person mm. more than the actions that they have. Like when he interacts with people, he's like, you, he's not saying this verbatim, I'm paraphrasing, but everything is like, you were known, you were loved, you were created in God's image. And the best way for you to live into that image and have a life that is going to be fruitful is to go and sin no more. But he also says, I don't condemn you. Like, I'm meeting you, I'm embracing you, Mm. and I'm loving you right here. And so, I don't know, it's so interesting. Like, we love rules, and we love legalism, and we love to say we're, we like, sin was defeated, the law no longer matters, we live under grace. But rules and laws and all of that are easier. And that's why I think this topic is interesting, because the second you break away from some of those things, it gets stickier. Like, how can I, as a 33-year-old divorce pastor, who half of the Christian population would say I'm living in sin, Mm. because I'm divorced, 
and leading a church. How can that be possible? But also where a church is like, well, we want to invite all the divorced people to come and find redemption in life. So I, we kind of speak out of both sides of our mouth in it. And I said this to a guy, his name's Eric. Uh, we were doing like an Instagram live together. And it was the first time in my life that I had eyes to see like what it was like to be maligned in some way. Like I, I don't think anything had ever negative happened to me in my life, really. Mm. Like going through a divorce was the first time I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to only marginally be the outsider mm. and to have people like calling out what they believe to be my sin on like a high level. And it just like radically shifted. I mean, I was already like, if you're divorced, you could, I had divorced pastor friends. And so it wasn't an issue for me. But then I had to process through what I believed about the inclusiveness of God because I wrestled with, like, does God still want me in this? Is mm. God's grace enough? Like, am I to blame? Like, all, there were so many different narratives circling around in my mind about how to navigate that. But I think coming out the other side of it, like, I'm probably a better husband, father, and pastor and a more devoted follower of Jesus on the other side of it. And so I think Jesus used it for really good gain. But I don't know, it was interesting, like, it's weird to be where I'm at now and look back because there's just, even in five years, there's been a lot of life that's happened and it's changed my perspective on those things. And it's affected and grown your ministry. Like I think about yeah. how like Peter, like Jesus says like, get behind me, Satan. And then he's like, <laughs> on this rock, I'll build my church. Like talk about being chill with someone in leadership who you weren't always happy with their choices. Mm. Um, but also like, yeah, like I, I go to the well of your church and I mean, someone was like, how can you like go to a church with a divorced pastor? And I was like, I never thought a second of it. Like what, why would the inclusivity stop with, I struggle when people stop inclusivity with leadership. Like they're like, everyone is welcome. Someone, I had a pastor mm. say, everyone's welcome to the table, but not everyone's welcome in the kitchen. It's and too hot in there. <laughs> too many cooks <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> but like, um, I think that that's a problem. I think we'll say you're, you'll always be welcome at the table, but if you mess up to something that we think is like not okay, then you are no longer welcome to be a part of what we're creating. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Two things I would say. First, not serious. I can tell when you don't think a joke of mine is funny because you snap and you do this. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's so specific. <laughs> yeah. Go back and watch the game tape. I like. I know your. I know your mannerisms to be like. Oh, she did not. That didn't land. <laughs> um. But, in the middle of your sermon, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like having, I'm having a come to Jesus moment right now. About my own humor. Um, second thing, more serious. I, it is interesting. Like we, we define who can play. Like we want to say everyone's invited, but invited as spectators. And that's like what I think is really interesting about the community we're trying to create. And I think we mess up more than we get it right. But I know for me personally, my faith became the strongest and the deepest when I started being able to see myself as able to lead. Mm. And I think part of that's like my personality. I'm like an aide on the Enneagram. I like to be in charge. I'm like kind of extroverted in those ways. Like, so I think some of it's maybe unique to me, but I do think that there's like, Jesus didn't just call us to be passive consumers, participants and spectators. Like we were called mm. to like be drivers of things and like help others see. And so I think even if it's like leading a small group or it's preaching on a Sunday, or it's whatever. Like, I think there is something really profound that happens when you step out of just like watching and witnessing to like actively participating and leading. And think about like Jesus, he sends out the disciples 
to go do stuff that they are for sure not prepared to go do, like share the gospel, heal people, cast out demons. And they come back and they report back and then they go and do it again. But like they're learning and they're growing as they're going mm. through it. And I think we can skip over that because like, well, they're the 12, they're the closest, they're his, his peeps, right? But if we're taking it as like how Jesus is telling us to grow in our faith, I do think like leading is really important. Mm. I don't know. Like, but we oftentimes are like, we're nervous. It's scary to let other people lead. Absolutely. As a leader of a thing, like, because it, like from, I don't believe this, but I can see the art, like it's diluting the thing I've created. Mm. I've invited someone else in. So their perspective, it's diluting my perspective. I'm inviting other people in to speak to something. Well, maybe I don't fully agree with that. Like, how do I handle that? And so it's just scary because we're losing control of the thing that maybe was never ours to control, but we're surrendering control. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've heard the idea of like Christianity is not a spectator sport, but that's almost always been used as almost like blackmail to volunteer. Yeah. And that's still not necessarily leadership. You can give people opportunities to serve and help out the church in ways that they, Yeah, not that everyone needs to preach on a Sunday, but like, there is a point where you're using people and you're not actually giving them a voice in any way to be leaders in a church. Yeah, I think there's so many different things that I could say about like, because I do think there are people in our church that we've had speak, have speaking roles that have just been like blown away that they were offered the opportunity to do that because they've been told <laughs> the best they can do is hand out a bulletin on a Sunday. Yeah. And I think that's really amazing to like help people see their place in leading but on the other side, like, I think about it. So my dad's a recovering alcoholic mm. uh, and crushing it right now in sobriety. So, Dad, if you watch this, props to you. You're crushing it. I'm proud of him. And but I remember growing up, like, I felt like my church used him as not like a, a leader, but as like a puppet in some ways. Like, I remember him, like, when he was sober, it was like, this is the story of a person that's sober. And he's like giving testimonies. And if not, it's like, shame on you, you do better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But none of that had any role of like leading and working out and moving through sin and like working out your salvation through that. It was like, when you're right, we'll use you. And when you're bad, yes. we'll shame you. And, and I don't even know if my mom was the alcoholic. I don't know if they would have, <laughs> I don't know like what they would have done if they would have <laughs> let her speak. I don't know. But I think it's just interesting. Like they're even to the level that we let people communicate and drive like it's like you're in the driver's ed car but the driver's ed person has the real steering Mm. wheel on the other side like we're still ultimately the ones in control and I saw that a lot with my dad and I think about that and it impacts a lot of what I do because I'm like I never want anyone to feel like they're just like the token whatever that's up there to push a bigger message like there has to be some ability to let people lead in the midst of their sin and brokenness because I think that's the most compelling way to articulate the gospel too. It's like, we're not all perfect people. Yeah. Like people, like I wrestle with so many things, like so many anxiety, depression, all of these things like stirring me. And I like stand up in front of people on a stage and like, man, Danny's got everything together. Mm. They probably don't actually think that, but like there is a church like ideal that like we, the pastor is the only one of us that's actually crushing it. Yeah. And I think the best thing we can do to invite other people, whether they're, gay people, people of color, Republicans or Democrats or alcoholics or whatever they are, whether they're living in sin or they're just a maligned group of people, I think saying like you as you are able to fully work out your faith and at times lead, 
even if you don't know. And that's one of the things that's been great about having you preach. It's like, you're pretty upfront and honest. Like, I don't actually know if like your, your sermon <laughs> on prayer was like, uh-huh. I don't have any answers for you guys, but I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And the number of, and you get, I get emails only when you preach. No one ever emails me like, Hey, Danny, great sermon. But when you preach, people are like, man, I like, I heard something that I'd never heard before, mm. but you're not speaking with certainty. You're like leading and wrestling with what you're trying to figure out. Yeah. And I think that's so much more compelling as we're followers of Jesus and trying to figure out how to do this is not leading with certainty, but leading with inclusion, as we talked about, but like leading also with like, we're all in this together. Absolutely. And I think that's like, I, so last semester or like two semesters ago, I guess I was on music team with my campus ministry. And that was when I was really like, my deconstruction was at that point, like the heaviest it ever was like to like, it just kept me up at night. I was exhausted all the time, just thinking about it. And I remember like, I was like in charge of the music team and I got up on stage and I was like, this song, like, this is a time for everyone, whether you want to sing these words and mean them or whether you want to process and wrestle with these words. I am in the wrestle category, and I'm going to sing it and play on stage, and I absolutely am struggling with this. Mm-hmm. And and I, like, I <laughs> I told my, like, campus minister I was going to say that, and I was like, I think, it, I think it matters because I think people think that they can do that on their own quietly and no one can hear from them. Mm-hmm. When in reality, like, that is still a a valid voice that can model following Jesus because f- part of following Jesus is wrestling with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I can't remember if we've talked about this here or not or in another context, but like I've said for a long time, people were like, Hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And I would always say the Psalms because it's like people wrestling with God and yeah. a lot of doubts. Um, and I'm not like a generally brooding moody person, but the, the <laughs> Psalms where I was like, I could like actually engage my emotions. Uh-huh. And I really enjoyed that. But those are people that have more doubts than they have questions. Like, they have fears. But it all points back to, like, God, you're good in the midst of this. Yeah. And I think that's really, really interesting. And, like, when tragedy happens, people often quote that passage from Habakkuk that's like, God, why do you let all these injustices happen and all that kind of like, But there's so much faithfulness in all of that as well. Yeah. Um, but so when we were talking right before we started, I was like, hey, I think this is, like, a, a episode about... How do we deal with things in the inerrancy of scripture? But you had like a different take on it. Like you were saying, like, I don't know if that's exactly what this is about. So do you remember what you said? Oh, about sticky situations. Like, well, what I was kind of saying is to me, it's more about, I think this is what you're referring to. Like it's more, the problem with sticky questions like these is people often blame deconstruction on them. Yes. Like, so you're just like, oh, well, you... Like, I've been told, like, oh, well, you are a woman and you wanted to preach, so I'm sure you just deconstructed what was convenient for you. Yeah, you were trying to tear things down to find your place to, like, make it around what you wanted to do. Yeah, like, you're you're a cafeteria Christian and that you're picking what you want from the lunch line. Have you heard that term? Literally never heard that before. Are you? Oh, my gosh. That was, don't be a cafeteria Christian. We hear that all the time. Like the old country buffet of Christianity. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, just pick what you want. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I laughed at that. <laughs> you did. <laughs> that's just such a specific it. thing. That, yeah. like, I'll tell you, we'll go back and watch. You do it a lot. <laughs> that's Which amazing. Is, it says two things. One, like it's something you do. But <laughs> two, I need to work on my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> the first time um, I ever came to the well, I was talking to your wife, Annie. And she was like, oh my gosh, you have to meet Danny. He loves comedy and he thinks he's a comedian. <laughs> yeah. And then she was like, I was like, babe, like you, they work way harder on your jokes than you do. Yeah. 
Yeah. One time I said on a podcast, I was like, comedians and pastors are kind of the same thing. And she's like, you need to stop saying that. It's offensive (laughs) to their craft. Um, But all that to say, like, I think um, often, whether, whether that's whatever it is, whether it's LGBTQ, divorce, women, there's like so many of these secondary topics that people say like, well, you conveniently started deconstructing when that started to really bother you. Mm. And I think hopefully what part of this episode will do is it will flip that story on its head and to say like, okay, but what if I was taking Jesus so seriously that it bothered me for a reason? Yeah. So like, what was, so you posted a TikTok the other day that was like, it's been a journey to like become an affirming Christian. Yeah. What was that journey like? And did you get comments or like blaming along the way of like, will you have stopped taking the Bible seriously and things like that? Yeah, that's like the most offensive thing to me is like, Mm. I don't take the Bible seriously. I think that I actually really find um, to be offensive because I think I take the Bible really seriously. And that's like, I got to this point because I took it seriously, you know? Um, But yeah, it's it's an interesting journey because I think at least in my space, uh, I felt like, I grew up in what was the modern day version of what we talked about in the Catholic church. It's like, we were never supposed to pick up the Bible really for ourselves mm. and wrestle with any of it. It was like only read the NIV was really hot when I was in high school. It's like, read the NIV. Uh, and, but if you're going to read it, just don't do a lot of wrestling with it. Like interesting. Yeah. It was okay. like, hear what I have to say about it. Yeah. And so I was like, the whole phrase, like the Bible says it, that settles it mm. was kind of what it was, but it was also like, it was just the pastor says it, that settles it. You shouldn't have to do any research on your own. And so the video I posted, the TikTok I posted was essentially like, I was told this and then I did the research mm. and a lot of it was through seminary and going through and learning and wrestling with, and some of it looking at like what the Greek says and some of it looking at like what the context and the commentaries around it are. I remember you telling me like someone told you you weren't allowed to read a commentary because you yeah. weren't like going to be able to, like handle it all the way because I wasn't seminary educated. Yeah. yeah, and I think I, I think it's so wild, but I think it's like that kind of stuff is a weaponization of being like it's essentially not saying it's not because you didn't go to seminary. It's like we just don't want you to know the context surrounding it. And I think there's whether it's mm. scripture or whether it's context or whether it's whatever. There's gatekeepers at different levels that are like, hey, don't go in here because you're not going to like what you see, and then it might take you outside of our tribe of what we believe. And for me, like I never, for me, like divorce was never an issue. So I went through a divorce and it was like, I would, and maybe this is like arrogant to me, but I was like, I'm probably still going to be a pastor. Like I never, like it never was a question for me because I had other friends that were divorced and were pastors. And for me, it was like, I think there was so much sin and brokenness that was a part of that process. And it was like, that's what I wanted. That's what I'm concerned with wrestling with. Mm. But, like, God has not pulled away the calling that God has put on my life because of some circumstance that has happened in the midst of my journey. But that being said, like, the idea of, like, being on a journey, like, I went back and read, I found my old undergrad laptop where I thought I was writing some of the greatest works of inclusive theology that I've (laughs) ever seen. And I read back, and A, I was like, I wasn't that inclusive. And Mm. B, I was like, I have grown so much more in, not basing things on opinion and much more on like, I think this is what scripture tells us. Mm. And that's where my journey has been. It's like, I, at the core of who I was, when I saw anyone excluded, whether they were prostitutes, whether they were strippers, whether they were whatever, whether gay people, whether they were alcoholics, whatever those things were, I saw those people being excluded. Mm. 
And I was like, that's just not right. That's not like what Jesus would want. And so there was always what I was like a holy discontent inside me of like, I think we're missing the point here. But at that point there was, I grew up in Portland, like a pretty progressive world, but I never knew like there was any, there was no progressive landing space for Christians or maybe inclusive mm, landing space. Yeah. I actually don't really like the moniker of progressive, like Christianity, it's not my favorite. It's one of our most trending uh, hashtags on TikTok, <laughs> but I don't, it's, I don't actually love it as much, but inclusive, like I just didn't exist. And coming to St. Louis in 2015, I came here on the coattails of another pastor getting kicked out of the denomination for having LGBTQ people on his hospitality team, which I was like, that's so wild that we've drawn the line of inclusion, not even in leadership, but like handing out the bulletin. Yeah. I was like, this is wild. I had friends that, like when I got married to Annie, one of my friends did the wedding uh, and she's a pastor now in Kansas City. And like a nine-year-old girl came up who's a Presbyterian actually. And she's like, I've never seen a woman preach before in my entire life. And so she carried her Bible around with her for the next week. And she's like, I'm a preacher, right? Like it was, she's, yeah, well, she saw herself represented for the first time. Right. And there was nothing sacrilegious about it. It was about Mm. representation of leadership. And so the journey has been interesting in terms of like studying but I think it's a lot of times I'm an experiential person, like seeing those things lived out and be like, there's no sin in that has radically transformed my theology. Um, but it's been a journey. Like I, and I say this all the time, like I might be wrong on a lot of things. And so I try to hold my convictions loosely, mm. but I also know like I'm erring on the side of what I see Jesus's words and actions saying and on the side of inclusion. And that has led me to where we are today. And I think there are two things that make me feel like it's confirmation that we're heading the right way. One is how much opposition we get in the sense that like mm. we're pushing back on something and Jesus got opposition. So it seems somewhat holy to have opposition. But on the second side, as much as bad as we get, we get so many people that there are like, we have people that have been to prison. We have people that are in same sex relationships. We have people that are women that have been told they can't lead that are finding their place, not just to sit, but to lead and guide and speak truth. And I think like that's as much confirmation to anything else that we're, like, we're going the way God is leading us. Mm-hmm. And the things that the church finds sticky are not as big of issues for Jesus. <laughs> like we make them sticky. I don't think Jesus makes them sticky. Mm. And I, I had a moment a while back, like when I was still very in the reformed camp and I really sat and I was like, I think if Jesus came today, I would not like him. Like, I'm not, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, because of me being so in my, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> because of me being in, like, such a reformed camp yeah. of, like, this is what it is, this is what it is. If a random guy came in and he was like, I'm the son of God, and I actually think you guys are doing a lot of it wrong, I'd be like, well, this loser, let's get him out. Yeah. And that was a moment for me where I was like, at that time, it didn't really change my beliefs. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> but, like. It made me think, um, yeah, they're sticky to the church, and Jesus got pushback from mostly religious leaders. Yeah. And so there's something to be said about the fact that, like, if we, if our theology is going down in a place where if we think Jesus came back today, he would not be welcome in our church, or definitely he would not be welcome in leadership, I think we have a problem. Yeah. Well, I think he wouldn't be well. I think, like, if Jesus walked into any church today, it, he'd be it would be awkward 
yeah. especially the things that he'd be saying. Like it would, <laughs> it would create a lot of pushback. Mm. And you think about the the posse he'd roll in with, not just his disciples, because his disciples are the C listers. Like they're not the religious elite. Yeah. And we view them as like these heroes of the faith, mm. and they're like losers. <laughs> And then the prostitutes and the and the other non-elites, the lepers, the what like the people that he'd be rolling in with, church would like you've seen the probably the YouTube videos of like the pastor that sits out front of their church, dresses the homeless person, everyone walks by him, they call the cops on him, like, hey, get out of and then he comes in and preaches. Like that like that's a modern day example of that. Like if we're trying to say we're a church for all people, and then you in real time watch your congregation be like, but not that guy. Like that's kind of what we do. Yeah. Um we had in my old in the church I grew up in there was uh, like a Middle Eastern man came in with a turban and everyone was like, I mean it was like weird. people were like oh gosh what's gonna happen like it was really bad, and I remember being like, that's pretty close like what Jesus would look like if he walked in here. Yeah, and like if you so deeply I imagine this was a Presbyterian church right? Yeah. Like I imagine if you so deeply believe that God is like trying to pull people in and choose people and all like <laughs> you should be geeked out that that guy's in your space right? Yeah. But we oftentimes, and Dustin says this all the time, right? Like, the church is like a, uh, you know, the microphone, so you can't tell me. It's like a, it's like the business meeting, right? Like, this is our chance we come together, mm, and it's a business meeting. I love that. And it's, it's a TED Talk. It's a TED Talk, right? Yeah, it's a business meeting. It's a rock meet- show and a TED Talk. It's a rock show, a TED Talk, and it, but it's for insiders, right? It's not for the outsiders. Mm. And that's why we get so weirded out about it. When you create a system that so deeply talks about the outsider, but you've geared <laughs> it to the insider. Yeah you have a reckoning of what happens when those two spaces collide because, well, is this thing really about me or is this thing actually just about something? I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, like you watch the collision of those things because I bet you that church, maybe not, I'm like, you know, like making up lies about what I don't know to be true, but I'm sure at some point people are like, Hey, we need to evangelize to those people of different religions and help convert them. And, like, that would be the easiest thing of, like, someone that walked into your space that was of a different religious conviction. It's like, you don't have to convert anyone. They, like, just walked into your space. Like, you've got, <laughs> that's a slam dunk, right? And can I say, we don't know that he was of a reli- different religious conviction. For sure. He I, was just Middle Eastern. And I imagine like, everyone assumed he was a different religion. Yeah. I mean, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think that's, like, it's an interesting thing, right? Like, if someone that looks like the other mm. comes into your space... Are they, I think about this, like, we're trying to create an inclusive space for, at the well, right? Yeah. And I just had this conversation with someone today, like, we're not a racially inclusive church. If you were a person of color and walked in, you'd be like, this is not very comfortable for me. Yeah. Um, We've, like, this is, this isn't minor, but, like, we've started only using gluten-free communion because we know there are people with, like, hardcore gluten allergies, right? Like, so, like, food-wise, we weren't even inclusive to everyone, right? Mm. Like, there are so many levels of what it means to create, like, a welcoming and inclusive space for all people. And I think I'm daily reminded of how blinded I am to, like, what it means to create an inclusive space because I'm included in almost every space. I'm a straight white guy, so I sit at the top of the privilege ladder. Mm. The only thing I'm allergic to is penicillin and watermelon, so I can eat pretty much anything I want. <laughs> it's like, uh, and I actually don't even know that I'm allergic to penicillin. Have I told you this? No. My mom forgot which – mom a twin, and she forgot which one of us was allergic to penicillin. So you guys just both So now it? for life, we're both allergic to penicillin. <laughs> so. That's amazing. But so, like I, like, I oftentimes have to put aside what I think about things mm. because I'm like, I just actually don't know what it feels like to not be at the top of the food chain as I walk into things. And when I talked to that guy, Eric, on his, our Instagram live, yeah. like, that's what I realized when I went through a divorce. It was the first time ever. 
And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. The first time ever that I was like, man, this sort of feels like to not be at the top of the food chain. Mm. And I think that's when we're talking about people that are trying to come in to know who Jesus is. We've created that food chain or that caste system or whatever. It's like you walk in and like you are abundantly clear where you sit. And then we create a ladder for you to climb. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's what it's about. I don't, I don't think ladder climbing is the whole point of this. So like we've been talking a lot about how sticky situations or not sticky situations, sticky topics are often people that some churches think should be excluded. Hmm. What do you think makes them so sticky? I know you said, that's a funny question. Um, I, <laughs> I know you said a little bit like it's helpful to us to know if we belong, if we know who doesn't belong. But do you have more thoughts of like, why do, why do we get so tense about it? Yeah. Well, I mean, like if I just, yeah, I think it's a, it's a pride thing. I, how do I know I'm winning? Hmm. How do I know I'm crushing it? It's in comparison to the people in the other lanes on the track. And I know how far ahead or, or if I'm in last place. Like I just saw a, a video on Facebook of this girl. She got off the jump and her shoe came off. And she was a half a track behind these people. Put her shoe on and won by half a track. It was mm. unreal. But she was abundantly clear how far behind she was. And she had to sprint even harder mm. and faster to win. If you're ahead... You know where you're at. You know that you're winning. And I think, like, for us, when we look at things, I mean, some of it's, like, how do you define a moral compass if we don't know what's right and wrong? I think that's, like, a reality of it. Mm -hmm. Like, we're people of certainty. We're people of black and white, as we've talked about before. And so there's that regard to it. But we also want to know that we're winning. And so I think what makes it sticky is we don't know if we're winning. And Jesus never talks about winning. He talks about losing. Yeah. He talks about being last, right? Mm-hmm. That the, the first will be last and the last will be first, right? Is that right? Yeah. Um, and we kind of disregard that. And we're like, well, the first will be first. And the way I know I'm first is I'm not X, Y, or Z thing. And so I think what makes it sticky is we are no longer the most important person at the table when everyone has equal importance. Mm. And that's not as fun. It's not as fun. I like to. I like to be important. <laughs> yeah, I, it's. I think we all do it. Like that's the other thing. Is like the idea of being like really woke and really like we're crushing it. Is like wokeness is just as bad because like I'm more I'm more progressive. I'm more woke. I'm more whatever. Yeah. And so like we've taken the stance like we're tired of seeing people be excluded. But I'm, like, the best at not excluding people, right? And <laughs> yeah. so it's like we've kind of – we're always creating new mechanisms mm. to realize how much we rock and how much everyone else sucks. Yeah. And I think it's not what Jesus would do. Like, that's the whole WWJD thing, right? Like, it's, it's a, like, lame cliche. But we don't really care about what he would do. We care about what we think he should do or would do. What I say that's funny. You're like ready to burst No, I'm out. thinking about oh, yeah. <laughs> And there, me and my reform friends made a bracelet that said um, <laughs> W-J-H-D-F-M, what Jesus has done for me. Mm. Those fly off the shelves? <laughs> we just made it for okay. ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So what Jesus did, well, say it again. What Jesus has done for me. Basically saying like, it doesn't matter what I do. Jesus already finished it. Yeah. I think that's more, I think that's compelling. No, it's, I know, it's just funny. Yeah. It's just a very reformed thing to do. It is a reform. It's a, but I think, like, <laughs> if we were making bracelets for now, we'd be like, what have I done for myself, right? Like, mm. it's, we are so into us. Yeah. And what makes it sticky is 
I want to know that I've done the best for myself. Like, I'm trying to, like, I'm processing in real time here, but like, what would be attention for someone, like in my old congregation, finding out I was divorced, I show up to preach, like, they're gonna ask, why am I then, why do I need to be committed to my spouse? Like, if this person went through a divorce, like, why do I have to work so hard at maintaining a strong marriage? And through the hard times when they just like ejected in the midst of tension. That's what they would say. That's not what happened to my divorce, mm. but that's what they would say. If you see a, a lesbian or gay person preaching, yeah. like the critic would say, like, well, I've committed my life to denying that sexual sin. And it's not about what I want. It's about what God has called me to do. Yeah. Um, about alcoholism. It's like about control. It's about moderate. Like there are all these things that like when we see that person up there, it's probably touching a pressure point in us. And so I would be interested, like do a poll, be like, which one of the sticky sins is the worst for you? And you're probably struggling with it in your own life. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think there's something about that that is worth exploring, but it's Mm. again, an us thing about a, if we believe the work is finished, when you said it, we're not resting in that because it being finished doesn't just mean that it's like, we're awesome. It means that we don't, we shouldn't have to work any harder and therefore we're all on this level playing field. Yeah. So it's not actually finished. I mean, it's, I, it's weird to me. I don't get it. It frustrates me because I see things that are not issues, but we've made them huge issues because it's written in a 2000 year old book Mm -hmm. in a way that was speaking really literally to a context and culture. And also, like, if you think about, like, I don't know how you can stand against one thing and not another, because people do this all the time. Like the United Methodist Church, I'm pastoring it. We're dividing over the inclusion of LGBTQ people. Why have all of a sudden, like, I'm like, why does no one dividing over divorce? You know what mm. I mean? Like, we're creating values on things based on what affects us the most and what makes us feel like we're on the inside. Dang, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird to me. I don't know. I have no helpful thoughts to say about it right I now. I know. I don't even... What did we start? Oh, sticky, sticky topics. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just in this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like we ended up more talking about inclusion, mm. but I think that's okay and good. Yeah. Well, I think like, I think that's kind of what makes these things sticky. Absolutely. Like my dog breed club. <laughs> Um, yeah I think they're part and part I think they're together I agree like they are connected Mm -hmm. because what are we wrestling with in those things is inclusion and I think when we think about all of what we're talking about things we've talked about in other episodes things off camera all that we're wrestling with I don't know if this is an unfair assessment I think we're wrestling with other people's salvation more than our own and i think that's like an interesting thing like we're more concerned about who else can't be saved and we're like well i think i'm okay hmm what well, says again the straight white guy though you mean it's like to me it was if i'm looking at someone else's salvation then i don't have to look and see how vile i am oh it's interesting yeah it's kind of sad yeah but like, well and the other side of the same coin right like yeah. You're looking at the person to gas you up or at least not have to worry about how much of a terrible person you might be in these other areas. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. 
I think we're tapping this one out. I agree. So I'll ask you the question that I would ask myself. Oh, no. Why do you think I'm not funny? No. <laughs> <laughs> that You're going to have to go on that journey by yourself, yeah. Danny. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about my version of like how, like for you though, like there are things that have been sticky for you. Like, yeah. and you've had real time conversations with people for you about being a woman leading. Yeah. So what is your encouragement for someone, whether they're an LGBTQ mm. person, a woman who's finding their space in leadership for the first time, a divorced person that's like, hey, I can still lead someone else that's living in some other thing that is sticky for us to process? What would be your encouragement for them? Because that's, I think, if I was pulling back, I might say that's the scariest part of deconstruction is like, if you're trying to deconstruct and hopefully find your place in something, it's still not a promise that when you step into it, you'll be able to find that space anywhere. And so what would be your encouragement to someone who's sitting in the place you were six weeks ago, whatever, and now you're here like trying to be a part of the process and, and leading someone in that? Mm, this, I saw this a little bit ago on like social media and it just said like, have someone in your life that thinks of you when they're, when like opportunities are being discussed. Hmm. And I thought of you, Danny. Like, because, aw. Um, okay. <laughs> because, like, I'm, I, it has been so ingrained in me that that is not something I'm allowed to do that I don't think of myself when we, like, when opportunities like preaching mm-hmm. or something come up. And so to have, I guess my encouragement would be find a place where, I think at the beginning, if you've been told your voice should not be heard, you do need someone else to, like, really champion that. Mm. That's what I would say. I also really struggle with, like, self-doubt and self-trust. So maybe that's – maybe no one else is relating to this. But, um, like (laughs) – Well, if I was on the other side, I would say, like, from my perspective, like, my encouragement would be if you're listening and you have the opportunity to champion someone else, like, Mm. that's your your call. Because it's, like – or your role within it. Because – as much as you're like knocking out of the park and exploring these new things, not given that couldn't happen if someone didn't extend the opportunity and champion you. And I think, and that's not kudos to me, but it's saying like, you have to, if you're a leader of any kind, like make the tense decision to let other people step into that yeah, and seek them out. Like, I think that's not that I found you, like you found your way to our church, but Mm -hmm. like it was almost immediate. Like I felt like the Holy spirit was like, this person has a gift mm. and this person has an opportunity to help lead. And like, that was ever before I knew your story. I like remember the first time we talked, I was like, this person has a capacity to lead. Mm. And so some of it's like seeing that in that person. But then when you find out more of the story, I remember when we went to get dinner, you, Annie and I, and like, I was like, man, I know the story more. And it's like, well, let's hear how we can champion that. And, mm. lead. and so as much as it's for you, like encouraging people, like to keep going through it and like, to find those spaces for people that are in charge and in leadership. I think that would be my encouragement, like create spaces for people that have been told no to spread their wings and like stretch and grow and lead in the opportunities that they're gifted. Um, Also, if you weren't a good preacher, like if there were other places like that, you, that's the other thing. It's like preaching on a Sunday isn't the only thing, right? For sure. So it's like fine. It's a discernment even to find like, where's the place to plug in? Mm. Like, and that happens through relationship and, all exploration you know what I mean but but like speaking of preaching specifically I remember a lady at our church came after the last time I preached she came up to me and she's like I can tell there's so much inside of you that needs to be said Mm. and she was like don't stop and I was just like okay like (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's like, I think it goes back to like, you are allowed. Oh, this is uncomfortable for me because I'm bad at this. Like, you are allowed to process and name your gifts. Hmm. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you think you're the bee's knees. It just right. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just got a blank stare. I was like, or it doesn't. I was yeah. like, <laughs> Please, please stop talking. No, I, I'm with that. you. I think that's right. Don't say that to them. That's it. I think that's right. Like, yeah. I think we're, I'm a pretty like, pri- I struggle with pride a lot. Like I'm a pretty prideful, confident person. So like, I have no issue naming my, like this is where I'm knocking it out of the park and here are my gifts. Mm. But I think that's another thing is like not a lot of people feel comfortable yeah. naming those gifts. And so it's like helping other people see them, name them, use them. It's important. Yeah. All right. I think this is a good talk. Yeah, um, I think so. And embrace the journey. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs>